Good morning. Good morning, Salem Chapel. It is good to be with you this morning. Whether you're in this room, which is so encouraging to see, or whether you're joining us online, man, we are thrilled to just be able to worship um, together this morning. Has it not already been a fantastic morning? I mean, as I think about, you can clap for that, that's all right. Um, as I think about the fact that we are worshiping together on the 4th of July, and we talk about the freedoms we have, which I am so grateful for, even more so that what we just got to see and witness and experience is that freedom in Christ. And what an encouraging thing that is. And I hope that even today, as, as you've come into this place, you know, we've been in this series called Look Up, and I hope that that's really where our frame of mind can go. That we can be a people that begin to look up and be excited about all that God is doing in this place. So I want to encourage you to grab your Bibles or your phones. We're going to be in Psalm chapter 125, Psalm 125 this morning. We're going to continue uh, this journey through the Psalm of Ascent. I already said this series called uh, Look Up. And let me just remind us real quick why it is that we're going uh, through the Psalms of Ascent. Because the aim is for us to look up to the Lord for our help in everything. For us to look up to the Lord in our help in everything. Now, when these psalms were written, and as you may remember, these were were songs that were sung. So as as the people would travel to Jerusalem several times throughout the year, they would sing these songs on the way. And it was, it was a dangerous journey at times. There was mountain and there was ter- all of this terrain and there was potential for, uh, you know, robbers and all this kind of stuff. But even more than that, these psalms had been written not just because of the physical journey that they were going to take, but it was a reminder of all of the ways that God had continued to deliver his people. And it also would look forward to that day when there was a, an ultimate deliverance that would be coming. And a lot of times what we forget as God's people is that we forget to look up. We forget to see these realities are true in our life. So this morning what I want to do is I want to invite you to experience how this psalm really encourages us to look up. I'm going to read Psalm 125 and then we're going to dive in and really see what the Lord has for us this morning. Look at what God's word says. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forevermore. For the scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteousness, lest the righteous stretch out their hands to do wrong. Do good, O Lord, to those who are good, to those who are upright in their hearts. But to those who turn aside in their crooked ways, the Lord will lead away with evildoers. Peace be upon Israel. Church, let's pray, and then we're going to jump in. Father, you are so good to us. Father, we got to, uh, we, we had an opportunity this morning just to experience and see and taste a bit of your goodness. And so, Father, I pray that our lives would be a worshipful, obedient response to what you have done. Father, I pray that for those of you who are trying to strive so hard in life just to appease God, would they, would they rest in your grace and, and see how your mercy has overflown? God, would it then motivate that obedience? 
Father, we ask for you to do what only you can do. God, in your word, would you encourage us? Would you comfort us? Would you challenge and convict us? And Father, would you turn our hearts towards you as we look up? We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. So why do we need to keep looking up? Here's the reason. Because we're prone as God's people just to plead, like we keep forgetting that God is actually for us. And this is especially true when life comes at us. When there are waves of of things that you continue to experience in your life. And as you live life in a broken world, sometimes we are just shaken in our very soul. You know what it's like to be shaken in your soul? I remember that my dear wife and I had the opportunity to, in our previous church, um, minister to a sweet woman who came to faith in Christ. And shortly after she came to faith in Christ, it was discovered that her marriage was absolutely in the ditch. She was being abused emotionally, and she was being abused physically. And there was a wrestling in her soul because she had to ask some questions. I've stepped into faith, but it doesn't seem like God has delivered me in those moments because I'm still facing and experiencing all of these things. And there's this wrestling sometimes. Didn't God promise to deliver me from all of these things? And she found herself to be alone and to be uncertain and unconfident Sweetly, one of the things that obviously, although we need to deal with the physical and emotional abuse, one of the things that is, is so sweet is just to keep reminding her, as part of her discipleship walk, to look up, to remember who the Lord is. That he has you even in the moments of your deepest and darkest despair. And I have no idea as you came into this place or if you're watching online this morning what it is that you're wrestling with. But I know that in a room this size, there are some of us that are wrestling with some things as we've experienced life in this broken world. So here's the question. Why look up? Why do we even look up? And what I want you to see is that that comes right out of verse 1. Look with me at the text again what the psalmist writes. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides forever. That word moved could also be translated shaken. Those who trust in the Lord cannot be shaken. And here's what I want you to see, even in that first verse, is that when our trust is in the Lord, our lives cannot be shaken. That presents a problem, though. You know why? Because life actually does shake us. And I'm, I'm convinced that many of us say, like, I have been trusting the Lord when life actually shook me the hardest. And what happens is that creates a gap between our faith confessions, what we say we believe, and what we are actually experiencing. Have you ever experienced that? See, as life shakes us, what happens is then sometimes we can begin to struggle emotionally and spiritually and physically. And so what happens is this psalm allows us to look up and see the places where God speaks into our struggles. 
What this psalm will do is deliver truth to our souls when our feelings, those things that we are wrestling with, actually want to shape our thinking and drive our actions. Because we will make decisions based upon what our soul is struggling with at any given moment. So what can keep us from looking up? What keeps us from looking up? I think it's not only for our sweet friend that I mentioned when I opened, but for all of us, when we experience struggles deep in our soul. I want to give you just kind of some three common struggles that I believe that you're going to see that this text speaks to. But for some of us this morning, we may have come into this place, and you know what? We feel alone. Why would that be a an experience for some of us. Why do we feel alone? Some of us are going through a life and we're going like, you know what? Truth be told, I just feel unloved and unknown. No one really knows who I am. Or some of us feel misunderstood or insignificant. How many times in life have you had to wrestle with this feeling of, man, I'm just misunderstood all the time. That's not what I meant to say. That's not how I want my life to be interpreted. And all of a sudden, it creates this chasm in us in which we can just start to, to withdraw to ourselves so we can start to feel very, very alone. Some of us are just grieving what could have been. Some of us are walking through life and maybe there's a marriage or a child or there's some kind of dream that we wanted fulfilled that has never been fulfilled. And we get to a certain age and stage of life and we begin to wonder if that reality will ever be ours. And so we just begin to feel alone. Some of us have relationships that have not been repaired. We long and look at the, the brokenness of those relationships and it just creates in us this, this aloneness because we just grieve those things. Some of us have experienced death. The death of a loved one that is so, so close to us. But at the end of the day, if we really had to boil it down, when we feel alone, we keep telling ourselves this. Man, no one else can understand what I'm going through. No one else can understand what I'm actually going through. A lot of times what that does is that just delivers us to feelings of loneliness. Here's another thing, though. Sometimes we just feel afraid. What if something bad happens? I got to, so I wrote and studied these notes earlier this week, last night. So I never sleep well on Saturday nights. I don't know what the deal is with that. I never sleep well. But my daughter, uh, my middle daughter who's getting married uh, in September, she, uh, she worked 12 hours yesterday at Baptist um, you know, Medical Center downtown. And she went down to visit her fiance. I texted her last night before I went to bed. I'm like, no, don't be out too late because like, there's craziness on the roads and all this kind of stuff. And uh, this, is just, this is just dad coming out. And uh, she didn't respond to the text, of course. I don't know why that's a thing. So I'm laying there, and I'm not kidding, I'm laying there thinking about preaching this message, knowing that I'm going to say we feel afraid. Jen's, Jen's a sound asleep next to me. <laughs> and we have Life 360, the app that tells you where all of your kids are. I at least get that through September when she gets married. And I'm like, she's not home yet. She's not home yet. What if something bad happens? You know what? 
Some of us, that's just how we live life. For others, though, sometimes we feel afraid because we just wonder, has God had enough of me? What is everyone thinking about me? What if I make the wrong decision? What if I'm just not good enough? What if I mess up my kids? What if my spouse walks away? What if I don't get better? What if the waves of life just keep coming and it just gets worse? A lot of times that delivers us just to feelings of fear. And then I think for some of us we just feel uncertain. If there is something that as a pastor I hear probably more predominantly than anything else, it's uncertainty. Because I think when you're alone and you're afraid, doubts that you're even a believer can begin to rattle in your head. Sometimes we just have regrets over our past, things that we've done, and we have doubts about God's forgiveness. Or as I said, life just keeps delivering blows. Have you ever said to yourself, man, like the hits just keep on coming, and when is this going to be over? Like, Lord, I, like, I don't know if I can actually take any more of this. And what happens is it delivers us to a period of uncertainty because we begin to question everything that we say that we believe. And then we doubt God and we doubt our salvation as we live in a spiral of uncertainty. And these are some of the emotions, just a few that can begin to actually shake our lives. And what I want you to see is the invitation in this psalm is for us to look up and consider some truths, to be reminded that when our, our feelings want to shape our thoughts and our desires and drive our actions, there is a truth in God's word that can be the counterbalance to the way that you are struggling in your deep emotional soul. So when we look up, when we look up because of this song, what do we see? I want to give you three confident assertions of what we can trust about the Lord. Three confident assertions. First one comes out of verse two, so look at with me again. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forevermore. So here's what's happening. The psalmist is going to use kind of some familiar geographical uh, features to illustrate a spiritual truth about God. And he's answering this question. Why are those who trust in the Lord have a life that cannot be shaken? Well, he says it. It's like the mountains surround Jerusalem, so God surrounds you. It's Mount Zion. So Jerusalem in the center has some mountains around it. Not all the way, but almost, almost like... Uh, Sentinels that are, are placed around it. Mount Zion is not the highest place. Those other peaks are the highest place. And so you see the metaphor that the psalmist is using, and he's saying, it, it, your life is actually surrounded. Here's what I want you to see in that text. When I feel alone, I am surrounded in love. And the Lord surrounds his people with an unending love. Look at verse 2 again with me. It ends this way. So the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forevermore. You know what that is? That's covenant language. 
That idea of now and forevermore, it's more than just protection. It's intentional, loving, unending care that the Lord surrounds you. That's the truth that we need to wrestle with. But I want us this morning to consider what it means that the Lord surrounds you. That this morning, whatever it is that you're experiencing in life that has created the potential for these doubts in your soul, that that this psalm reminds us to look up because the Lord has us surrounded. You see, what we see is it's a proclamation of his presence. It's a proclamation of God's presence. It is the presence of God that provides comfort when we are experiencing loneliness. You ever perhaps asked yourself, like, what difference? What difference does God's presence actually make in my loneliness? Let me ask you a question to help quantify this. What are you tempted to believe or what do you do when you feel alone? So do you struggle perhaps with significance or identity? And and what happens is, is that you're swirling in that feeling of being alone. Like no one else can understand your circumstances. And so you go out and you look for it in relationships or careers or changing circumstances. Or you're the one that keeps chasing dreams and desires. The next thing is going to provide what I need so that I no longer feel so alone. Or maybe there's some of us that are just just wallowing in self-pity. Gosh, it is so easy for Aaron to wallow in self-pity. Oh, woe is me. I'm so misunderstood. And then we sink into despair. And we're all alone in our thoughts. I am so confident, aren't you, sometimes that no one else can actually understand what it is that I'm experiencing, that no one actually cares about the hurts that I am feeling at any given moment. And when we have to try to navigate life like that, that is a heavy, heavy burden to try and carry. But what's the truth? God's presence is a present reality. That's really what this verse is saying. As you live life, as you navigate life in a broken world, God's presence is a present reality. Man, as you abide in him, as you abide in his presence, it's not something, and here's what I want to get us to, church, it's not something that we just know. Doctrine and theology is super important. We see a lot of it rising out of the Psalms, but as Will said even a couple of weeks ago, the Psalms speak to our emotions. And so when we begin to experience the presence of God, it's an experience that we can live out And when we begin to experience that presence, it can't help but change the way that we think about God surrounding us. Because let me ask you, if you walked out of this place this morning and you're struggling with being so alone, even in a room full of people, but you believed and you stood on the promises that you are not alone, that God actually surrounds you, it will make a difference in your heart and it will comfort your soul. the presence of God has always, 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 church, 
been a reality for God's people. Go back to the Old Testament, Isaiah 41.10. What an incredible verse this is when it says this, fear not. What does it say? Read that with me. For I am with you. Do not be dismayed. For I am your God, and I will strengthen you, and I will help you, and I will uphold you with my righteous hand. Do you see the language there of God's constant, ongoing, never-ending presence in your life? It's not that it wasn't true, it's that we struggle to believe it a lot of times, especially when life is coming at us hard. But not just in the Old Testament, Jesus himself says in Matthew 28, as he's he's given the Great Commission, he says, now this, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, look what it says, I am with you always to the end of the age. That is a present, pressing reality. That Jesus Christ is with you today in whatever it is that you're experiencing in life. And then Jesus says, you know, but physically, I need to leave this earth. I'm going to go back to the right hand of God the Father. And he said, but the truth is, I'm going to send the third member of the Godhead that is going to be your comfort when Jesus says in John 16, 7, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage, look at that, that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. Church, here's what I want you to understand is a present and present reality for you this morning. If you have trusted Christ as your personal Savior, the moment that that decision was made, the Spirit of God indwells you bodily. There is no closer presence. What existed only in the Old Testament in the temple as a thing that was experienced in part is now experienced by believers today in full. And how much of a difference would that make in your life if we actually began to believe that the Spirit of God who indwells us is and was sent to be our comforter? You are not alone. So what does that mean for your life? It means you're not alone. It means those of you who have felt forgotten, you're not forgotten. For those of you who have felt insignificant in your life, you're not insignificant. Jesus Christ came and lived and died for you. There's no more greater significance that could ever be given to you, regardless of what somebody else in your life may be telling you about your worth, your value, or your significance. means you don't have to search the world and all of the things that we go to look for because the Lord has already provided for you because he loves you desperately. It means the relationships that we long for, as good as those things are, they're but a picture of a better relationship. So a marriage is the metaphor that's used from Genesis all the way to Revelation. Because as good as marriage is, it is but a picture of a deeper abiding relationship that we have in Jesus Christ because of the gospel. It means you're known when you feel unknown. 
It means you're loved more deeply and more intimately than our, our minds sometimes can even begin to fathom. Let me speak to some of you this morning who would say this, that you are in your deepest sorrow, your darkest days, your most desperate moments. The presence of God has said that he has never left you. He actually desires to abide with you more deeply. Isn't that good news? Like, should we not walk out of this place and go, man, if anything, when I feel alone, the presence of God is my present reality. So as we look up, just that verse, just that single verse tells us what has always been true, but it's often so hard for us to believe in our soul. We are surrounded by love. You're surrounded. The second confident con- uh, this assertion I see coming out of verse 3, though, as well. Would you look back at, we, at the text with me? It says this, For the scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous. At least the righteous stretch out their hands to do wrong. What do I want you to see that kind of comes out of that text? When I feel afraid, I'm protected from evil. So what's happening here is the psalmist is going to continue using a metaphor. Look what it says, the scepter of wickedness. Now what that is, is it was a symbol of evil power. Uh, some believe probably uh, related to the, to the Babylonian Empire, which they had been delivered from in the past. And the Babylonian Empire came in and it dominated the land and it dominated the people. And it was a visible representation of the evil that actually surrounded God's people. And remember what happened so many times to Israelites. As the evil that surrounded them and invaded them, they began to do evil themselves. You know why? Because it's very easy for the evil around us and in us to be lived out by us. That's why there's a warning about the righteous pursuing what is evil. That's the idea of the end of verse three there. Least the righteous stretch out their hands and do wrong. So when we read this, there is an invitation once again for us to look up. And here's what I want us to remember, that evil will not have the last say in our lives or in this world. That's what that means when it says, the wickedness shall not rest. There is a promise that we can hold on to that I will be protected from evil. So a question that I, wanted to, I want us just to wrestle with is, why does it matter that evil will not have the last say? What does that even matter Consider that because of the fall, when, when Adam and Eve first chose to disobey God, it had disastrous consequences. So evil now exists in us and around us, and evil impacts us physically and emotionally and spiritually, and here's what happens. Our desires are bent, our thinking is skewed, our actions are tainted, 
How many of us just watch the news and see evil? We scroll social media and we hear about evil. We live life and we experience evil. We see evil that impacts our kids. Evil shapes our culture. And here's what I know. Culture can easily begin to shape us if we're not careful. So in this text, there's this tension between the evil that we experience and that we see and the promises of God that it does not have the final word. So why does it even matter that it doesn't have the last say? And here's why. Because we can become paralyzed by evil and just begin to live in fear. Just live in fear. For some of us, we believe that the evil in us and around us has the final word. So we make choices to do, you know what? Live just for the here and now. We live in a posture of futility. It's easy to look at the world, especially with the inundation of all of the media that we're able to take in today versus in times past and just begin to be overwhelmed by the evil to a place where posture is, what does it matter? Like, what does it really matter? What are we doing in those moments? We're living out of fear. In a thousand different ways, that fear can shape our thoughts, it can shape our actions, it can motivate our desires, and we can allow it to determine our life's directions. One of the most disastrous things that you can do in your life is to make decisions about how you're going to live based upon the fear that you're experiencing in your life. My son got me kind of, I, I, like, I love the Avengers, which is a little bit odd for me, and quite honestly, most of the staff is kind of thinks it's funny that I'm using an Avengers picture as an illustration here. <laughs> I want to be Captain America. I've always wanted to be... I, I know, it's just a thing. I think Jen wants that too, but more because I, you know, <laughs> look like Chris Evans. She wishes I looked like Chris Evans. I don't know how that's going to go. I don't know if you know anything about the Avengers franchise, but it follows the same storyline of a lot of movies. There is good versus evil. And you know why that is something that engages us as we watch it? Because inherently, we desire to see good triumph over evil. But what always happens in a movie like The Avengers or anything else, there's always a fierce battle, is there not? And that battle kind of like, it's, it sucks you in. And you know how it's going to end. Like none of us have watched these superhero movies and think, oh man, I bet you evil's going to end. Even, even if and I don't know how it all works, but even if one series ends like with evil, you know the next series coming, right? Because ultimately good is going to triumph over evil. And there is something in our soul that longs for that. When we experience evil, we, I know good's going to win. So what's the truth that we need to really wrestle with, though, when we think about that funny illustration? See, it's verse 3 is this invitation that says evil does not have the final say. But that truth is now fully and finally realized in Jesus Christ. When Jesus was on the cross and he cried, it is finished, what did he declare? I've defeated evil. I have defeated sin. I have 
defeated death, and you can walk in freedom because of what I have accomplished for you. I love when Jesus just says those words. It just reminds me that the man without sin who demonstrated his power has said to me in my life today, Aaron, evil doesn't have the final word. Do you need to believe that today? Because as you live life in a broken world, here's what I know. Sometimes we're just unsure. That truth has to be just spoken into our souls when the evil in and around us just constantly produces the fear that so often we live out. You know, John, Jesus says this in John 16, 33, which I think is a super important verse for us to wrestle with, because he said, I have said these things to you, that in you, that in me, rather, you may have peace. So look what Jesus is doing in that text. I'm going to say something to you so that you have peace, opposite of fear, right? You see that? I'm going to say these things. In this world, you will have tribulation. What is he saying? you're going to experience the reality of evil. That's what Jesus, those are Jesus' words. But does it end there? Who has the final triumph? But take heart, for I have overcome the world. Literally, he says this, take it into your soul. Let it rest in that place that needs to, to resonate out of you. When you're in the middle of your deepest struggles, understand this. You're going to experience tribulation. You're going to experience evil, church. But Jesus has overcome the world. That's good news. And then there's kind of this third confident assertion that I see coming out of verses 4 and 5. And then we're going to be done. It says this, do good, O Lord, to those who are good. And to those who are upright in their hearts. But to those who turn aside to their crooked ways, the Lord will lead away with evildoers. Peace be upon Israel. What I want you to see in those couple of verses is that when I feel uncertain, I'm confident in the outcome. Confident in the outcome. These last two verses are one of the only few prayers that we actually see in the Psalms of Ascent. And so what appears to be in view here is for this prayer, this plea of God's people, for the Lord to keep those who trust him and those who have professed to to follow the Lord to not be running after evil. But there's also this promise that the Lord will deal with those who do profess the Lord and then man just turn. And we don't have time today to walk through all of the implications of that, but here's what I want you to know. If you are a follower of Christ, it does matter. Why? Because the struggle of the certainty of our salvation is never more tested than when we face waves of trials or we continue to struggle with sin. Never will, never will you struggle with uncertainty more deeply and more profoundly than when the trials of life just keep coming or when the sin that you so badly want to choose not to keep stepping into keeps being a reoccurring theme in your life. And then we begin to wonder, like, has the Lord forgotten me? We start to wonder, am I, am I too bad 
too often for Jesus to keep loving me? What happens is we, we wonder if what we keep experiencing means this. I'm not even a child of God. Some of us, and I know that this has been true in my life at times, is that you can just play out a scenario. Play out a scenario in your mind where you live your entire life following Jesus only to end up as the one he never knew. And I'm like, oh, man. And sometimes I could be so uncertain. I'm so uncertain. Church, I'm preaching to the choir literally for myself because there's been times where the, the waves of deep struggle have overcome my life into a place where I'm like, I'm not even sure I'm God's child. And if that's you this morning, if you've been in a place or you've been in a season in life where the Lord has been, been faithful to you but you struggle to believe that, I want you to understand the truth that the confidence that the outcome of our salvation is certain does not rest upon us but on God. Because if it were up to you, you'd have every reason to be uncertain. If you had to hope in you, you better pack it in now. But the, the glorious truth that the outcome is certain is because of what Jesus has already accomplished. And for those of us, this side of the cross, who are upright in their hearts, as the text talks about, are those whose righteousness has been credited to us because of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. So what we celebrated in this tank as a visible representation of what Christ has done just means that what we can believe is true is what Jesus has accomplished, that he has given his righteousness from his perfect life and he has given it, imputed it to you. It's why you can't lose it. Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake. Whose sake? Whose? Whose? Yours? Mine? For our sake, he made him, talking about Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin. Why? So that in him we might. Who? Once again, that we might become the righteousness of God. Here's what I want you to understand if you're wrestling with uncertainty. God does not look at you in your sin if you're a follower of Christ. He looks at you robed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's a good thing. So what do we do? Because as we go from this place and we have to wrestle with what this text does to keep us looking up, what do we do? Because if you're like me, which by the way, the Psalms are primarily meant to just speak into our emotions, but a lot of times we want to walk away with this to-do list, which is not always healthy, but I'm going to give you something today. Can I do that? I'm going to give you something to do. Because it ends this way. Look at the last verse. Peace be upon Israel. You know how else you could translate that? Relax. Relax. That's what you got to do. Like, just relax. Say it with me. Relax. When you remember to look up, I want you to know that you're surrounded in love. You are 
protected from evil. Your salvation, the outcome of that is absolutely certain. Here's what I want you to know, church. I don't know where you are struggling this morning. I don't know what things have eroded your confidence in Christ. I have no idea, but I do know this. God has it because God has you. So look up. Salem Chapel as a family, let us look up when our trust is in the Lord and his promises that we can believe are true. Our lives, our lives that are, are standing on the word of God cannot be shaken. Amen and amen. Church this morning, here's what we're gonna do. And it's, by the way, it's been so awesome. Also, have some of the kids in here. I, I don't know if I succeeded in going shorter than I normally do, so I know some of you are praying for that, but I'm not, I'm not naive. Please let him talk quicker. But let's not check out in this moment. Let's worship in song. Let's worship in a posture and an attitude of, of a people who just want to express how much the grace of God has impacted our life. As we sing also, um, I'm going to invite the ushers. They're going to come forward during this last song. And so if one of the ways that you worship is by giving in a service versus online, you have the opportunity to do that. I want to thank you so much for your faithful giving. That's just another expression of worship. Such a good thing that we get to do there. But more than anything, Salem Chapel, I want us to be a people who keep looking up. Father, thank you so much that your word is true. God, thank you that you've given us these psalms that as we experience the difficult, challenging moments of life that create in us these uncertainties and these doubts and these feelings and this aloneness, God, that we can be remembered that you are with us, that you've gone before us, that you've provided for us, that your presence abides in us. Father, we may be a people that are reminded of that truth this morning. Father, we love you. We thank you for all that you've done in and through our lives. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. Let's worship together, church.